podcast for scuba divers everywhere. Take your seat at the dive table with your hosts, Jay Gardner and Kevin Wood. Welcome to the dive table. I'm Jay Gardner and with me today are, I've lost count at this point, but what number of co-hosts this is, but I'm super excited to have us join the show today. My good friend, my training buddy, my dive teammate, um, my housemate for multiple of these times that we've been on. Uh, what else? We've uh, I don't know how many meals we've eaten together at this point, um, but uh, it's a lot and how many ice creams we've devoured, uh, especially this last trip. But Mr. Kevin Wood. Kevin, I'm so excited you're on the show and this feels like you know, like every day to me because <laughs> we've spent so much time together. So why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself. Super happy to have you on the show. Oh, thanks, Jay. Uh, Kevin Wood, uh, here in the great state of Louisiana. Hopefully, sarcasm is coming through <laughs> just fine. Um, so, uh, background, I guess, since this is a scuba diving uh, podcast, uh, met Jay, was it almost a year and a half yeah, ago? Something like two almost years, two? something like that. Something like that. Uh, trying to go through the uh, UTD instructor life and upgrade program there. But before there, uh, got certified in college back in 2008. Um, dove all over the Caribbean, had a lot of fun there. And then, uh, as we'll get to later on in this podcast work, uh, gave me the opportunity to go out to Guam out in the Pacific, which is lovely and beautiful. Did, uh, my intro to technical diving and got the bug for going deeper, deeper and staying longer. Uh, came back to Louisiana and, uh, looked around, didn't see much diving there. So decided to go find it. And, uh, that's where we found UTD and multiple trips out to San Diego uh, stayed with Jay all of the, all of those times. Great hospitality, uh, which by the way, girls and magic all doing fine. They are, they are doing fine. It's a little warm today, uh, for San Diego standards, oh, but <laughs> I, I kind of laugh like this, this is, is nothing. <laughs> this is the first, this is the first day in 40 days. It hasn't been over a hundred oh, degrees wow. here in oh, Louisiana. Yeah. It went to 99. Oh, that's, so. yeah, that's, that's it. For some reason though, when there the, is a difference between, I don't know why when I was in Texas for those five years, like if it wasn't triple digits, for some reason, mentally, I, I thought it was cooler, even though, you know, effectively, it really isn't. I mean, it's one of those things you get used to 103 degree temperatures, and then it's like you wake up and it's 75 outside, and you're like, whoo, time to go get the sweatshirts. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it started, uh, started doing the UTD thing. Uh, Jay and I were both training, training buddies going through kind of, I guess, the um, trial run new phase of how utd uh, and creates instructors so that's pretty cool uh to that and i'm sure we're gonna touch on that here either this segment or the next one and then uh uh somewhere in there i guess we can talk a little bit about what's coming up but uh been down to the caves in florida uh the mill pond in mariana florida did a bunch of cave diving there and uh loved it so uh been all over. Uh, there's still places that's still on my to dive list up in uh, up in the Great Lakes, maybe out in Europe, um, stuff like that. But uh, just enjoying the the ride um, and meeting new people, having some great times and that kind of stuff. So that's me in a nutshell. And then oh yeah, by work I'm an instructor at the B52 Schoolhouse for the United States Air Force. So that pays the bills and buys me air to go put in my tanks to go jump underwater. So the uh, my saying is, I'm not happy on land. I got to be above it or below it. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of interesting parts to to that story, for sure. Uh, but I think too, um, one of the things that I was really excited about having you on the show is we were actually talking about this the last time you were out here, you know, a few weeks ago, 
was, you know, as you start to advance in scuba, and, and that's not even a good way to put it because advance assumes that there's like rankings and things. There isn't. But as you, I'd say maybe want to go deeper, stay longer, get more into maybe technical diving or cave diving and those things. One of the lessons that I took away from a lot of training I've been on and some of those dives I've done is the, the number of people that you'll do those dives with starts shrinking pretty quickly. Like, you know, your Rolodex gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And you start really thinking about people who you would have on your team if you want to go and do, like, you know, one of my big dives on my list is is the swim through of the big O in the hangar day, hangar bay, right? Like the number of people that I would go on that dive with is very small uh, because of the, you know, it's a big dive. I think, I mean, that's going to just drive from like, there's a complexity aspect. There's a, a, a risk, a life or death aspect of that. And it's not that like we're adventure, you know, thrill seekers and, you know, we'll throw caution to the wind, but you want like-minded people that like, if you're going to go home and spend hours in the pool practicing bottle rotations, and you're going to go study videos of the hangar bay so that you know what to look for, the best way to get there, you're expecting the teammate to do the mm-hmm. same. I mean, it would, it would, you wouldn't want to go with someone who, you know, you spend all this time, resource, capital to get out there. And then they go, eh, yeah, it's cool. It's whatever. And then because of them, the dive doesn't go the way or they start forgetting stuff. And now you're dragging them along. It's just wouldn't be fun. I mean, same, like, like we're going to get the same thing in flying. There's, you know, everyone's trained to a basic level, but I can count the, on, on my hand, the individuals in the squadron that they're like, Hey, we're going to war or, you know, we're going for a fun flight. Yep. I know exactly who I'm going to pick. Cause I know they put the same level of uh, time and dedication into it. And uh, they also want you to get better. There's a little rivalry. Um, so if like, if Jay can do a valve drill and only, you know, bounce around plus or minus a foot, I'm going to do a valve drill plus or minus half. <laughs> right. And there's that little rivalry that goes back and forth. It's like, is it stupid? Yeah. But like, it keeps it fun and interesting. And you're always pushing, you know, your team or your teammate to be better which then makes everything else better. So. Yeah. And I think for, for me, one of the reasons that you're obviously on that, that Rolodex, one of the things I came to the realization of as much time as we spent together is we're very different people as well. Like the, the way that we <laughs> approach something is very different. So I, I, I'll tell this stupid story uh, because it was funny, but you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a people person and I, I find people interesting and, you know, want to have conversations. Long story short, we it was a long day. I think we were stopping at a gas station. Um, Kevin has, you know, a thing for monsters as well as I do. But I think yours outlasts mine or, or, or definitely overshadows my, my – uh, you definitely, you definitely saw what happens when Kevin goes to zero monsters <laughs> yeah, for a day. There should be a little, uh, you know, you should have a, a meter on the outside of like your, how caffeinated yeah, is Kevin and that will tell us how to react. Fuel gauge. But anyway, we went into a gas station to, you know, after a long day, just gotten fills, the whole deal. And there was this poor guy behind the, the counter who, you know, just, he just seemed like he needed someone to talk to. It just seemed, it seemed so sad. So I just said, hey, how's your day going? And usually people say, oh, good. And that's the end of it. This guy went on like this whole thing and I've learned like either you, you dismiss that or you lean into it. And so I leaned into it. Oh, well, tell me more. What are you going to have for dinner? What's this? What's that? Have this conversation with this guy. And Kevin's just over there rolling his eyes like, oh, here goes Jay. I had already, I had already paid and I was walking out the door. <laughs> I was about to go grab your keys and sit in the truck. But this guy, 
obviously did not want to be there. He was fed up with probably a lot of, you know, shitty clients and stuff like that. People, you know, having their own lives and that kind of stuff. And then Jay just goes, Hey, you know, let's, you know, I'm Oprah. Tell me your life story. Let's go. <laughs> well, anyway, and yes, I, it's, it's the introvert in me yes. and the decaffeinated Kevin. That's yes. Straight into the so point. A few days later we went, we, you were needing a monster. It was another long day. And, the closest place to the to the shop that there was was this gas station, so I drove to that gas station with everybody in the truck to to get Kevin a monster because we needed to stop. And man, I I tell you, the minute I I think I even turned on the the blinker, <laughs> I was like, Jay, you're not going in there and talking to this guy again. Come on, why are you going to put me through this? Blah, blah. Kevin, 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 chill out, man. This is just the closest place to get a monster. <laughs> it's like decaffeinated Kevin versus caffeinated Kevin. And, uh, and it all worked out. I, I only said hello well, to the guy. What, what, what you didn't say was I was completely quiet for the 45 minute car True. ride home from the beat. <laughs> so you're like, is Kevin dead? It's like, Kevin, we're pulling into the gas station. <laughs> so angry, angry Muppet from the yes, backseat. So. But one of the things I, I appreciate, I've really grown to appreciate about you is that we're not the same. And when you think about a team that's doing, bigger dives. Yeah. We, the level of approach that we'll take and, and detail and how much geeking out we've done over the numbers of, of tank factors and this, that, and that thing and planning and all this stuff is great. But when there's a problem under the water, I know your thought process and my thought process are going to be aligned from a procedural and a thinking process. But I also know you're going to cover my butt from the other end of things I might not be thinking about. And probably the same is true on the other side of that cycle. And so it makes a really good balanced team. When you, you just had three J's or three Kevins, it's not as a balanced team. And you get to you know start to have that um, appreciation, the, the bigger and bigger dives that you do. So that was one of the reasons I was really excited to have you on the show is because it's not, you know, we although we're in the same agency, we went through training together, we've done a lot of big dives together, all this stuff that we're not the same and that's, that's a good thing. So I was excited to bring that to, to kind of the scuba verse out there in podcast format for now. Could you imagine the amount of monsters it would take to feed three Kevin's? <laughs> yeah, you might as well. like, that's, that's a lot of caffeine. I actually man. read this story. This guy uh, had made some, I don't know, this TikTok or, or Instagram thing where he had literally his car. He had like a, you know, a four door sedan full of crushed can monsters and he just like tagged monster and it said, I'm not emptying it till I get a lifetime supply. Your move monster. And <laughs> it apparently went off and went crazy. And eventually monster said, we'll be in touch. And, uh, and the next video the guy posted was the car cleaned out. So the assumption that the oh. internet has made is maybe this guy's received a, a lifetime, you know, supply of monster, but I think that's what it might take. Or a cease and desist letter from Monsters Floors. <laughs> so I got to one of it. So I got to get enough monsters to fill up the Bombay of the B-52 and just open yeah, it. Exactly. Just- this will go over wherever. I think they're based in Corona, California. I think that's where Monster Headquarters is. So you can fly over there and, hey, if I don't get a lifetime supply, you're going to get all your cans yeah, back for recycling mm-hmm. here in a minute. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. I've done enough in the airplane right now. So. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into this. So I think for this first episode, knowing you are a B-52 instructor pilot, is that the proper way to say it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. That works. Um, and knowing your history with scuba and and our friendship and all these things, I thought it'd be really, or we thought it'd be really interesting to go into some of the parallels between 
flying uh, and, and diving. And whether that be training or the actual uh, act of flying a plane, whether it be B-52 or it be a Cessna or whatever, and diving and, uh, and bounce back and forth between those worlds. Because that's like you said, you're, you're not happy on land. You need to either need to be above it or below it. So this is like in your wheelhouse of things to, to really talk about. So uh, how's that sound to you? You want to do that for this first episode? No, sounds, sounds great, man. And uh, yeah, both are, both are extreme passions of mine. Uh, and we can get right, right on into it if you, if you want to. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, I started flying back in high school, was lucky enough uh, that there was a small airport uh, by, by me. Uh, did that, you know, 30 minute introductory flight to see if I would love it. Just like try scuba. Uh, and of course loved it, um, came down, started doing lessons. And from that time, even as a little kid, uh, going to air shows, museums, I know we went to some out there in uh, San Diego last time, not or two times before. Um, but you just, the sound, the sight, the smell of air shows of fast things. And then obviously, uh, I wasn't dating myself. I wasn't around when Top Gun one came out. Uh, but watched it enough times to, to burn out the VHS, nice. which might be dating myself right now. Um, so got, got the bug to fly and was lucky enough uh, to keep doing that once a, about once a week uh, until the summertime. And then that's when it took off. So, you know, we talk about in diving, you know, doing reps, you know, in the pool every week or, you know, diving every other day. Obviously, the, the motor skills comes back and that'll be a big parallel between flying and and diving. We'll touch on a bunch of them, but uh, there's a lot of hand-eye coordination. Uh, It's not overly hard or complicated, but it does require a a level of dexterity that you have to get to and you have to practice it. Uh, So I got my uh, soloed, which was a day I graduated high school, uh, which was awesome because they say takeoffs are optional, landings are mandatory. so pushing up the power, you're running down the runway, you got all the smells, the sounds, the radios crackling, and then you lift off and you're weightless. And it's like, this is cool. And you're like, man, this airplane's performing really good because small airplane Cessnas, like they're, they're not high performance airplanes. It's because your 230 pound flight instructor is no longer in the airplane. So <laughs> things are going well. And then it's, and then it hits you and then you're like, oh man. I got to put this back on the ground. I got to do it at least gracefully two more times afterwards to get my license. Uh, and it's all on you. A mm. um, little bit different because this is a solo event and there's not solo. Well, there is solo diving, but obviously not for where we come from. So more team oriented. Um, and we'll get to my later flying years of, yes, I was solo in an airplane, but I had a wingman. Mm. So, uh, but no, and then you put it back down on the ground. It's not the most graceful landing. You may bounce it down the runway, but the, the confidence boost that you have from that is like, it's a huge thing. And I recommend to anyone, uh, that is, that is in that realm, go, go try to learn how to fly an airplane or at least get the solo because just like a, it's a huge, um, character building exercise because mm. they just don't let anyone do it. And like, it takes time. Um, so I did that. And then while I was in college, I went to college for engineering, did the ROTC program down at Virginia tech, which Corps of cadets. So military college on civilian campus, that kind of stuff. Um, but during the summers came back and flew. That was my civilian time, got all my ratings, did well enough in school to get a pilot slot to the United States air force, and then head down to Columbus, Mississippi for pilot training. Um, there, 
uh, go through the program and the program starts off very heavily academic space. So death by CBT. And then you had old instructors that, you know, flew in Vietnam, talking to you, pointing at things on the board. And then you went to simulators um, where you kind of put a lot of the academic stuff into motion and you got to practice it. You crash the airplane, they would hit pause, they would talk about it. And then you actually hit the flight line. And then the flight line was where you put it all together. Mm-hmm. Now, very similar in scuba. So we have academic e-learning. Then you have the simulator. Well, I look at the pool as the simulator. It's right. It's we're going to test things out. We're going to breathe on the regs for the first time. We're going to play with buoyancy. But hey, if you get spooked, just stand up. It's four feet of water. Or it's so slow that we can write stuff out and uh, and, and do stuff over and over and over again. Um, the weird thing is, and I was listening to one of uh, Jeff's, uh, Jeff Seckendorf, so the CEO of UTD's podcast, he was telling us, he was interviewing the public safety diver from, this is one like episode two or three. Uh, I got bored and had a road trip. So, uh, and he was talking about scuba is the only um, kind of sport that you have to do in the actual environment mm-hmm. to where like I'm simulating flying on the mm-hmm. ground. I'm not up in the air. So worst case, I trip and fall getting out of the simulator, right? In scuba, you have to be in the mm-hmm. water. So even if it's four feet of water, you're still in the environment in which you're going to do it. So there's a there's a different level of, um, I wouldn't say risk, but um, respect mm-hmm. that you have to give it. Uh, did that, um, did well enough. And then uh, they said, hey, you know what? You did well enough to graduate, but not well enough to go out to the main fleet. I was like, what does that mean? Basically means that I did well enough to be an instructor. Once again, the Air Force is crazy in their minds, and this is the only job in the Air Force where you graduate the program and they say, hey, you're good enough to be an instructor and come Hmm. back. So normally it's, hey, go out and get experience. Go out, get several thousand hours, go fly some bigger airplanes, go deploy around the world, and then come back. Uh, So I became what's known as a FAPE, so first assignment instructor pilot, and went back to Columbus for four years and taught. Uh, which is interesting because now I'm on the other side of the table. Uh, so all the same mistakes, all the same things that the students are doing that I did, you know, a year prior, I'm now teaching them how not to do. Mm. Uh, so big responsibility being 22, being in charge of a $7 million asset with a student, uh, and basically said, Hey, go across the country, come back on Sunday with the plane and the, you know, pilot intact. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so a lot of response. And then eventually we did two ship formation type stuff. So now I'm taking a brand new instructor, my student and his student cross country and all the perils of, you know, landing at civilian airports and not getting, you know, going to bars and having fun, but being good on the rules and getting training done. Um, so grew up fast is what I would say. So, um, tying that back in to scuba is of course we don't want, uh, other agencies, we'll just call it that, have these like 100-hour requirements or 100-dive requirements. And you really look at that and you go, do you really know what you're doing? And in flying, it wasn't until like about a year into my tour that I really started to understand how to be a good instructor. And still, even when I left that assignment after four years, what it meant to be an instructor didn't hit home until I became an instructor in the B-52. Uh, and it, because there's no instructor program, there's no IDC, there's nothing out there that as soon as you graduate, you're the best instructor in the Mm. world. I mean, today I was on a chat with James Mott. Uh, it's kind of like our instructor next tier Mm -hmm. up. 
asking them questions about, hey, my student in the pool was doing this. Can you, here's a video. Can you help me out? Because I think it's this, but I'm not quite sure. So that whole uh, going to ask for a mentor. All right. So even if you're an instructor, whoo, I got the instructor tab. As James like to say, you get the jacket with all the patches mm-hmm. on it. Ooh, look at this special card. It's like, no, man, you've just begun that journey. Um, there's so much that you don't know that you need to go out. You need to work with people. That's another thing. Like we talked about, you're more of an extrovert. I'm an introvert. So it takes a lot for me to come out of my shell to talk to people that love scuba, but I may not love people. <laughs> so so it's, 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 it's a learning thing. It may not be, hey, Kevin's back fin may be great, but Kevin's interpersonal skills need to be mm-hmm. worked on. Or how, like Kevin's a very analytical math numbers and I'm dealing with someone that loves to ride horses and thinks on the other side of the brain. How do I relate scuba to that? And that's not in a manual. I mean, there's like, you can talk to people about that, but that's the same thing in flying is that we have these manuals of this is how much PSI the hydraulic system works. And this is how fast you fly it. And this is the radio call you're going to make. But you get into a situation where you're like, I've tried to teach this person everything I know, and it's just not getting through. And that's when the you know, the slightly gray haired beard. Well, we can't have beards in the Air Force or flying wise, but the gray haired reservist <laughs> that flies for the airline part time who like you're like, ah, oh, he's a crusty old guy. He doesn't know what he's talking. He goes and flies with a student and it clicks mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, because I got thousands of hours. I've talked to people. I was humble early on. I made mistakes and I learned from those and passed those on. And I think that's the, the biggest thing, whether it's flying or scuba diving, is finding those good instructors who have who are always students, who are always learning another level and trying to expedite the learning process. I mean, if it took if it took James 20 years to be as good of an instructor as he is, I'm sure he's thinking, hey, man, I'm going to try to give everything that it took me in 20 years to Kevin in right. five. And then I turn around and go, hey, you know what? I have a new guy coming up and I'm going to try to instill the 20 years of James's knowledge and the five years of my knowledge and give it to him in three. Now, does that happen? Maybe, maybe not. But I mean, that's how that's how people progress. And especially in flying and scuba, could you teach yourself? I mean, or- Orville and Wilbur <laughs> did, uh, Cousteau did, but there's also a lot of uh, a lot of airplanes that are in the ground. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who didn't make it back. So uh, best to respect the sport, respect the discipline, and then go seek out those uh, those instructors yeah. and learn from them. Yeah, so there's a lot in there to unpack, which uh, which I appreciate. I think, um, I think one of the things you said that's super interesting is – about going back to, cause you didn't grow up in Louisiana, right? You were, you were, took your, yeah. you took your flying else, you know, when you started elsewhere. It was Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, when you were starting out going back to that first takeoff and then the realization, Oh, I actually have to land this thing. <laughs> and there's no one here. Like this, this flight's going really well until you look over and go like, Oh yeah. That flight instructor was kind of like a, a safety blanket <laughs> for me and my blankie's uh-huh. gone. You oh, know? Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting because, and you also mentioned kind of the the motory skill piece of of being a pilot, and I think that's interesting because um, one of the things that with with diving in general is that one of the ways that you can think about it is you are at a control panel, right? Uh, flying a plane or a train, whatever, whichever one works best for your metaphor out there. But yeah, you're at a control plant panel, and yeah, if you need to reach down and and throttle up for example i don't know the right terminology i'm probably gonna make a fool of myself in this podcast but <laughs> no, you need to go faster i know that's gonna be the, res- the net result of it right 
you, you can't, you know, at, I'm sure at first you're thinking, where is the throttle? Now I go and do this, right? And then as it progresses now for you, you probably just could, you know, you don't even think about it. It's just second nature. Absolutely. And so I think there's a big, big parallel between that. If you think about diving is, you know, the, the control panel is different. It's, it's not a throttle necessarily, but you have a, you know, breathing buoyancy up, buoyancy down, right? You have speed up, speed down, turn, right? Like, you know, breathing, regulating the breathing in terms of a normal breath versus, you know, I find myself sometimes you get worked up and, you know, I start to breathe a little harder, right? And then you start to add in other layers where, okay, now I'm checking beyond myself, my team, right? And, and where do I think my team is at in gas consumption? You start to check the environment and you start adding other layers like, you know, a rebreather or doubles or, you know, stages or all, all these other sorts of things. And it's all the same plane, the dashboard of buoyancy, right? Control and speed and positioning and all these things doesn't really change. But the, the controls start to get more and more the, the farther and farther you kind of, uh, again, I don't want to use the word progress, but the, the, the bigger dives well, you do. You're, 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 yeah. Well, you can equate it to, you can look at like open water scuba is like flying my Cessna. Mm-hmm. Very simple plane. We're not going super fast. We're not going super far. It's, you know, it's fun. It's manageable. You can make small mistakes and you'll be, you'll be fine. And then you upgrade a little bit more and then you're like, Hey, I'm doing advanced. Well, that's my multi-engine aircraft. So I got two engines I got to deal with two tanks. I got to consider I can go farther on gas, but I got to have reserve to land there. And then you talk about communication. Like you think like, Oh, you got radios. Well, now I have two radios. Well, now I have two people talking at me. Which one do I answer first? You know? And then, um, same underwater. It's like, well, we can't talk, but we have hand signals or who's the most compromised diver and how do we communicate? It's verbal versus nonverbal. And then you go, okay, well, let me step that up to, let's say cave diving. And that's like my intro level military flying where it's high risk. It's expensive. It's fun. Have really cool videos from it. <laughs> um, and then you get to a point where like you to start talking about, Hey, we're doing, rebreather dives 300 feet we're taking cameras we're going thousands of feet back in a cave we're at our team like we need multiple gases we need you know multiple contingency plans x y and z i mean that's flying the b-52 i got four other crew members right now so myself and four other people required to fly it i got to talk to all of them um two of them are more on the offensive side for dropping weapons one of them's defensive so there's this never-ending battle of defense says don't fly too close to the enemy, and the guys downstairs say you have to fly close to the enemy because that's what we're our jobs to drop bombs on. And then I'm making the decision while all flying the airplane, and you talk about the stuff being subconscious. At that level, you, you can't worry about your stick and rudder skills. You can't worry about oh this is how I turn the airplane, this is how I climb the airplane, or how I make it go fast or slow. Same thing. The guys doing those 300, 400 foot dives, thousand foot cape pens aren't worried about their buoyancy. Right. It's just second nature. Now, what happens is, and you see this in general aviation, the guys who go too fast too quickly are the ones crashing business mm-hmm. jets. You start seeing business jets or very expensive, nice airplanes getting crashed. Uh, a lot of it's pilot error because they went too fast and they didn't focus on the basics. So the, the parallel, that was one of the huge ones. And I was flying with a student last Friday and who was having trouble in the pattern. Now, this guy's spent 200 plus hours in military aircraft flying around the traffic pattern and how to land airplanes. Some at faster speeds than we fly the B-52 at. Um, but his basics, we call it pitch and power. So you're going to set a pitch for the airplane and you're going to set a power setting on the throttles that's going to give you a corresponding uh, airspeed. 
Well, that stuff was just straight over his head and he's all over the place. We're climbing left and right. And he can't even focus on the radio calls. He can't focus on where the runway is, let alone run checklists because he's just chasing the basics. Mm. At that point, as an instructor, you go, what do you do? Uh, well, safety of flight first, I have to make sure that, you know, the airplane's not going to crash. So we weren't in that, but at certain points I had to take the aircraft, set the throttle, set the pitch and go, this is what normal looks like. You have the aircraft. He's then recages and goes, okay, now I can fly now because it's a crew aircraft. I can do some of the checklists and help him out in the background while he focuses on that. So that's like, Hey man, uh, your buoyancy is off. I'm going to set you up. This is right. But meanwhile, I'm checking our depth. I'm checking our time. I'm going up to your SPG and going, yep, you're still good. Right. The things that an instructor would do to keep the team safe. And I shouldn't say instructor too, because depending on the skill levels in your team, you could have a brand new person come to your team and they're inexperienced and that's cool. And your job's to build them up, but you're still like the big brother sort of, Hey, okay, let's, let's slow things down for you. Let's focus on the basics and I'm going to provide overwatch. Mm -hmm. And then eventually on the first pattern, it was, it was bad. (laughs) I ended up taking the aircraft after we did the touch and go and that kind of stuff. But I freed up, I took the aircraft. So now he's not worried about flying. He's not worried about climbing or crashing into the ground or breaking some over speeding the flaps. Uh, And I sit there. So, and this, one of those things of a mark of a good instructor is you can fly the airplane because all that stuff is in the background and I can talk. So while I'm talking to him, I'm basically play by play what happened on that last pattern, where he went right, where he went wrong, but I'm still flying the airplane in the present to then put it in a good position in the future to then give it back to him and say, okay, everything's good. You're here. So to be able to talk, fly and anticipate stuff, well, that only comes after years of experience and practice getting the basics down. I don't have to look where the throttles are. I don't have to know where the airplane is because I've done it so many times that it's there. Same with, hey, go to the pool and practice. I don't have to worry about knowing where all my stuff is because I have hundreds of hours in the pool repping mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. And then I gave it back to the student and the, and the landings got progressively better. So I think good sorting overall. Yeah, and I think, I think, um, I think that's a good, a good way to think about it because it used to drive me nuts. People would say, you know, oh, it's years and years and years. And, and it always felt like a vanity to me because it's, it's actually – I think what you're really saying is is it's the level of of experience in not only in the pool, but then putting yourself in you know fly, like maybe a parallel flying through a storm or high winds or those sorts of things. Same thing in different environments that you're in in scuba that that build experiences. I saw I saw this post about you know number of hours being the recommendation for you know, becoming a dive master, becoming an instructor, instructor trainer, those sorts of things that, you know, it's actually hours under the water rather than number of dives because dives can be a vanity. You know, we, I've joked yeah. about teabagging yeah. here where people, you know, do the 15, 20 minutes, yeah, or 20 15, feet. 15 or 20, 20, like 15 minutes, 15, 15 minutes at 15 feet, and then just oh. do it as many times as you can on a single 80. Um, yeah, that's not experience. I, you know, I, you're not gaining much there. Um, I think there's there's that caveat too because hours. If you said I have thousands of hours in the same quarry, I mean that's like saying I have thousands of hours just taking off from my home airfield and flying the right thing. Right. What what wasn't brought up was when I was in Maryland getting my flight training. Uh, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Delaware, West Virginia, Virginia were all places that were in my reach. So every weekend I would be hitting one of those states, landing at a different airport. Um, back at Columbus when I was a FAPE there for four years, Monday through Friday was, yeah, take off, 
go to the same practice area, come back. But the Saturday, Sunday, we would go cross country. So just about everything in the southeast of the United States was fair game. Um, and then when I was a B-52 in, uh, aircraft commander, we went out to Guam, we went out to England, we flew all over the country, we went down to South America. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's yeah, I got 2,500 hours of military flying, but that's all over the world. Whereas this kid who was in the seat had 200 hours at only his training right. base. So I, I think, I don't think you could put a multiplier, like uh, to, to do that, it, it would be some super gonked out equation of being like how many hours under the water versus how many destinations yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, um, I don't know if you could, you could do that. But then again, I think, uh, I think there's gotta be a little bit of it's on the instructor to know when they're ready to become an instructor. Yeah. Like I, I, there's a little bit of kick the bird out of the nest and you're going to sink or swim like that. That happens in any industry where you're like, I got the training. just don't know if this is going to work. And that's where you have your good mentor to, you know, safety net. But at the same time, if you've got people like, Hey, why do you want to be instructor? Cause I do it for the chicks. <laughs> Thanks, mine. Uh, no, for the uh, money, you know, <laughs> for the money or, you know, well, it's the next thing after dive master. It's like, how many dives after getting dive master did you own? one? It's like, eh, okay, we're, it's like you, you have to want and have a realization of why you want to be an instructor. And that always came down to me is I like flying with good people. Yeah. <laughs> like I get really mad. Kevin, you want to see angry Kevin take decaffeinated, angry Kevin who with a pilot that can't fly <laughs> and Kevin starts getting angry because it's like, Hey, we're all supposed to be trained to the same level, but, uh, come on, man, you, you need to step your game up. Like this is supposed to be the best air force in the world. You know, we can go anywhere in the world and you're just men running the standards. I know standards exist for a reason, but, um, you can do better. And then diving with my friends, like I videotaped it last time. Christy and I were in Florida, two open water divers dropped down. Literally we're walking on the bottom of this is vortex kicking up all the silt and sand everywhere. Mm. Literally like is a sandstorm. I'm like, we need to yeah. do better. Like Kevin could be fine just diving in the caves by himself, diving to a high level, high standard, but man, like there has to be a better way. And people I find right now it's more out of, they don't know what they don't mm -hmm. know as opposed to malice. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. But. Yeah. And I think, I think that kind of goes back to the whole experience question kind of goes back to the, the idea of a simulator, which by the way, your flight simulators, were you, um, were they fully like rotate around 360 degrees or was it like an old like Mac computer screen? <laughs> yes. Yes. They are. It, other Air Force assets have nicer simulators. The So the unfortunate story of the B-52 is that it, start, it, it has well outlived its useful lifespan and was supposed to be retired in like the mm. 80s. And every five years they go, oh, we'll retire it. So when they say that, they don't add money to any of the programs. And then five years comes and they go, well, we don't have anything better for it. So we're going to keep it around for another five years. And that's how we get to the situation that we were currently in where we're flying a 60-year-old airplane. We are Sims are just, you know, not as old. Still on um, a floppy disk? like <laughs> Probably. I mean, probably like the graphics aren't great, man. Like Atari level graphics. I mean, um. And they're behind, but because of current events and stuff going on, the military, the Air Force has now seen that 
the B-52 is a very viable weapon because of how it was built and what it's capable of. It's not the latest and greatest. It's not the fastest or sexiest, but it's a big dump truck that we can put a bunch of bombs on and we can make those bombs smart and do some really cool stuff with it. So it's going to be around till 2050 or 2060, which is going to be crazy. It'll be a hundred years old. There'll probably be one flying. Um, and now they're dumping money mm. in it. So the top, something like the top three projects in the United States air force are all B 52 ones. Um, hopefully I get to see this stuff, but you know, development research, all that stuff gets dumped into it. Yeah. So it'll be seven to 10 years before all the new toys come. Um, but it's a really cool time in the industry. I came to the buff hating it, thinking like it's, you know, old, slow, dumb airplane. Um, and I had my eyes open mm. that, you know what? Yeah, don't judge a buck by its cover. Join it and see what it's like. And then do, do with that what you Sometimes want. Sometimes that, that old set of doubles and that old salty wing in backplate just, uh, just do the job just fine. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, man. Like, uh, yeah, that whole, uh, I've started reading that book. Uh, I don't have it with, where is it? Um, mastery. Yeah. yeah Leonard, great book. Uh, and I was telling, talking to James earlier today and it's like, man, like all my buddies in Florida are all on rebreathers and doing some pretty cool stuff and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, just jumping in the pool with that single tank and back back plate, just trying to teach someone how to, you know, maintain buoyancy and trim. And then they finally get it. It's just like, you know, you're trying to teach someone how to land and then you're quiet and then they, they touch down and the wheels go and they do everything that you told them. Um, it's almost the success of other people that you've taught is cooler than any kind of toy that you yeah. can buy. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I would love a rebreather DPV and to go back in the caves and have cool stuff there, but I'm not saying I won't. It just, Hey, that might be five years yeah. down the road, might be 10 years yeah. down the road, but if I can turn out five really good divers who respect the environment, who are safe and competent and can pass that love of diving on to other people. It's what I try to do every day in flying. Yeah. But uh, Just, uh, yeah, no, two days ago, two days ago, I went on a, a dive. And in Texas, there really wasn't a lot of applications, I would say, for a, a rebreather. I mean, there there isn't a lot that's interesting about a lake that deep necessarily yet. Um, there are some applications where they're where they're really useful as a tool um but for the most part really you become a traveling rebreather diver but here in san diego since i moved here there's so many applications and we went on a i went on a dive a couple of days ago with uh, a couple of guys who were on um kiss rebreathers and uh, i didn't get a shirt by the way but um they're on the, the kiss kiss rebreathers and it was interesting because we were all diving together and Again, that I was very focused on depth because <laughs> I needed to know I was on a set of doubles and I had to manage my gas, you know, because I'm with mm-hmm. two guys who are not thinking about their gas. Not gas, not gas limited. And not thinking about depth, really, right? Not depth limited. Um, and, and, uh, and so it was interesting because, you know, we were swimming along a big shelf and I was up on the top of the shelf. So it put me in a good position to take great video of them, you know, just having fun and things like that. But I missed all of the, you know, marine life that was on the shelf because I was staying a little bit more shallower to extend my gas uh, right over theirs, still within our team formation. Um, yeah. Were we, they dropping below 100? No. Well, they, we, they went right down to to uh, 100 without really realizing it mm-hmm. in some ways because it wasn't on their radar. I stopped yeah. at 99 feet. 
was like, okay, I'll hang out in the midwater while you guys are down there. And, uh, and then eventually you're going to realize that you're past a hundred feet and I'm not going with you. Hopefully <laughs> you realize, and they did, you know, Oh, Oh, oops. Oh, looked at the depth. Oh yeah. I need to come up a little bit. And then we, we continue to dive. But yeah, it was, you know, I, I was pretty proud of myself. Got a, out of a set of a doubles, um, double one hundreds, got a, a full 80 minute dive at, uh, at depth, but it was, it was managing NDL, you know, like how long you, you got, you got, you got a set with 25, 25. In. I did. I, I, well, I, well, I asked that before we made this dive, like, we do we want to go down and, and do, you know, 150 feet. Something actually to and, see. Uh, yeah. the, the decision kind of was made on bottom time that we we're going to do a different, a different dive so we could extend the bottom time. But then based on the current, we got blown way off of that original dive plan. The current was crazy, mm-hmm. cr- swirling current. Anyway, I say all this to say that like I'm, I'm kind of pushing accelerate on my rebreather journey because I see the direct application now. And it's like, yes, this is pretty cool. But I think what you said about, you know, if I can create five students, Greg, uh, who you know well, or you know mm-hmm. as well, he and I just did a whole episode on ecotourism that was super interesting. And it was really about that, you know, training um, divers, not only that the environments that we dive in are sensitive or a lot of them are, but then how do we have the requisite, requisite skills to protect and preserve those environments? And we talk about ecotourism and all that stuff. So anyways, long story short, I really like what, what you have to say about, you know, training those divers to in the right way. And again, it's the same thing that the joy of, of a new pilot landing the plane. I mean, uh, I love watching a new diver navigate, uh, you know, a little changing bottom where they have to come up, you know, 10 feet, 20 feet, and then go back down 10 feet, 20 feet on the other side. It's like, this is going to be interesting. Like, do they start reaching for that power inflator? Do they start dumping a bunch of gas or are they breathing? Like, where's the bubbles? Like, how's it going? And it's really cool to see that. So that's cool. But let's, uh, let's maybe go back to the simulator because that's where a lot of the stuff happens. So you're just jealous. You just want your simulator ride and you moved further away. I do want my simulator ride. Although now I know it's more of an Atari game. Um, that might still eh, be. Fun. It's all right. We can we we can still bring up um, the fun thing is you bring up the Vegas night uh, strip. Oh, nice! You go fly through the fountain at the uh, MGM. Grand. Heck yeah, I'm I'm so in on that. Which by the way, Kevin and I did a uh, when we were in one of those museums. Oh, we uh, Kevin took me in one of the 360 degree simulators, and just about got me to blackout. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the, the one where it's like, all right, you can begin. And the first thing I do is roll it upside down and all the blood rushes here. Oh, end. yeah. My head felt like it was going to yeah. explode for a minute. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, well, at the moment, it was like, okay, this is fun, Kevin. Now go back over. Kevin, go back over. Like, I think I'm going to pass out. No, it was a lot of fun. But, um, but yeah, so the similar – and I do think it's interesting because, the yeah, the closest we can get as divers to a simulator outside of like, I don't know if you've done any of the virtual reality scuba diving, but uh, that's a whole thing, right? It's it's not a whole thing. It's a, it's a thing trying to become a thing, but outside of that, the closest we can get is a pool, but it's still, and even the closest you get to that is maybe like a long hose, a 25 foot hose, hookah hose or something like that, where you don't have to have gear on. Um, It's just a regulator in the water basically, but you still have to have gas. You're still under the water you still, mm-hmm. things can still go wrong, right? Uh, you don't, Absolutely. you don't hear a lot about pool drownings from scuba, but they can, you, you can still go wrong. And so, um, 
I think it's very interesting because the the repetitions that you're talking about are are in a quote unquote close to simulated event uh, or space as possible. So talk a little bit about maybe the parallels between what you're trying to achieve in a simulator as a pilot and where our kind of simulation in a pool comes in from scuba. Definitely. Um, let me, uh, I will back up just a little bit because the simulator in flying only came in when I came to the military. There are a few civilian simulators, but that, I mean, they were expensive, bulky. They were at the big flight schools, not the, the mom and pop, um, small hometown airport ones. So flying once a week for an hour, I would be reading all the stuff during the week, you know, having, having a good time. And then you get to your first lesson and you, you retain 20% of what you learn in there. And you're like, cool, I'm going to go home and memorize this. You come back for the next lesson. And the first half of that lesson is just repeating the stuff you did the week before. Cause you didn't retain nearly, nearly all of it. And you rinse and repeat. And that's why it took me longer than I was, I was average on my learning to fly, but it didn't click until I was flying every other day. Mm. And that repetition was gone. Now this is still not the ideal case. This is more like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to go to confined water in a quarry once a month. And then over, you know, four or five months, hopefully you get all your skills together to be able to check off and then go to open water. Granted, I feel my diving significantly took off uh, and made leaps and bounds when we entered the UTD program. And Jeff's like, go get a GoPro, put a tripod, put a weight on it, sink it to the bottom of the pool and videotape yourself. Mm -hmm. Never had done that in diving. I'd been in the pool a bunch in college. We had the collegiate pool and every other week there was a scuba class and I would jump in. But the ability to see yourself and critique yourself is huge. And in the simulator, I have the ability to stop it mid-flight. I have the ability to back it up and I have the ability to go to the console and print out basically the flight path of the airplane or its parameters. Mm. Um, so the ability to basically go in and put yourself in, you know, a basic learning situation, I can block everything out. I can block the weather. I can black out the other crew compartments. Um, we can keep it so that it's just pure mechanics on flying. And that's what our early simulators are. It's just fly the airplane. How do you take off? How do you land? How do you take off if there's multiple engine failures? How do you land with multiple engine failures? How do you do emergency procedures? I'm not worried about the mission. I'm not worried about dropping bombs. I'm not worried about any of that. And I can pause the sim and go see the gauges. When you push this button, this happened. When this happened, this happened. Mm. And then because I don't have to fly the airplane all the way around the pattern and I can back it up, if the person's having trouble with their landing, I can let them land, I can pause the simulator, and I can pull them back to a five-mile final, reset the airplane, and let them go. Mm -hmm. So in an hour, we can do 25, 30 practice landings to get that picture of coming into the runway right, whereas in the airplane, it's after we do one, it's a 15-minute trip back around on radar vectors until we can do it again. Mm -hmm. Not to mention if other airplanes, radios, the environmental, you know, hot, cold, left and right. Well, the cool thing about that in scuba is that with filming yourself, you can put yourself into those situations. You can't really stop it, but you can film yourself and you can go back to your video and go, Hey, I, you know, at 28 minutes, this was looking good. And then at 29 minutes you were fumbling and you can't reach us. Cool. That's what you need to work on is you need to be able to find this bolt snap or this. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about setting yourself up and making it more challenging. Well, I mean, it comes to your imagination. If you want to go take, you know, doubles with three bottles and start playing bottle rotations, 
go for it. I mean, it, it's your limit. If you're working on a scientific diving thing where you need to be very, you know, hands-on with dexterity, I mean, that's what the astronauts uh, in Houston in the big pool there, before they go up into space and do their spacewalks, they're in a gigantic pool doing a simulation where they have multiple cameras on them. So the ability to basically be in a confined area that's still very similar, if not the same thing, but safer, and to practice small parts of it over and over again until you get it perfect. Then the only difference is when you go out to the real thing, you just look at your wrist and instead of it saying nine feet, it says 130 feet. And you're like, huh, well, everything else is the same. The only difference is, is that it took a light, slightly longer to get down here and I had to put more air in my BC. Mm-hmm. And then everything goes over and over again. So the, I will say to anyone listening to this, even if you're not associated with UTD or in the, go get a GoPro, mount it to the bottom of your pool. As long as you're a certified diver and you're safe, like just don't, you know, be stealing gear and sitting at the bottom of your pool <laughs> alone. Um, but the, the filming yourself is, is huge. And then I have friends who do aerobatic flying. They have GoPros all over their airplane, on the wings, in the cockpit, on the tail. They come back and they, they analyze that over and over again. Because um, when we talk about it took 25 years to do this, yeah, it would take 25 years to do this if, if you just had to figure it out. Yeah. You can speed up that learning curve. And I'm not saying, you know, experience is one thing, but getting a bunch of dives and ramping up that experience learning curve in a simulator is going to help you out tremendously. Now it's no, it's no replacement for seat time is what we call it. Like you can't do 300 hours in the simulator and then jump in the airplane and think it's going to be perfect. It's not a one for one. It's not a hundred percent. Some of the airline sims are, uh, but not ours. Um, so yeah, there is that, Hey, I have, I have, hundreds of hours of me sitting in the pool practicing my back kick Mm -hmm. hundreds of hours doing buoyancy drills i still need to get out and dive but because i've put that work in i'm head and shoulders above the person that just did 100 dives in the same location over and over again Mm -hmm. so that's that's how i look at it yeah and i think the the point you're making about video it's no matter how great your instructor is and i and i say this as an instructor who desires to be very good at what i do uh, there is no better teacher than the video, <laughs> you know, like it's just, you see it. It's, you know, you, you, our memories are short and especially because it's a, you know, our memories are of what we think happened to with our bodies. Um, <laughs> the perception. so wrong. Right. And it's funny cause even to this day when I'm, you know, out diving and I'm adding something new, right. Or I'm, or I tried something a little bit different or whatever it was. I remember a part of the dive where, I did something that, you know, I wasn't hundred percent sure how it went. I crave that video. You know, I still want video of myself doing things because you want to see how it went and how you can improve it and where, you know, it's funny cause I, I've been diving a lot with, you know, just a, a deco bottle on. Right. And it's funny cause this dive that we did a couple of days ago, I didn't have a bottle on. And one of the benefits of having a, a deco bottle on or a stage bottle is that it keeps that D ring out right your bat your hip left hip d-ring out because the bottle's hanging from it so it makes it very easy to find and reclip your spg when you're doing a gas check and it was funny because i was like my first clip off of my spg i couldn't get the d-ring up <laughs> like, I'm like used to it doing this in a certain spot and i'm like hey wait a minute where'd it go like it's not there why is it not up like why is it laying down okay now i got it up and i was like oh okay that's because you know, there's not a bottle hanging yeah. from it. So it's that, the, that stuff of 
reps. Um, but the bigger the bigger thing from that is that even though you didn't you didn't grab it on the first try or the second try or it may have taken the third try, the subconscious buoyancy propulsion and trim was there so that you didn't get frustrated and lose the basics while you were trying to do a task oriented skill. Right. So that that's that's the big deal is no one's perfect on everything. You know, I've missed radio calls. I've, you know, bobbled level offs and on some landings haven't been perfect. But the basics were there to keep you within a safe realm so that you could problem solve and figure yourself out. It just depends. Is that problem small in finding a D-ring or much larger of going, hey, we're out of gas, we're lost, and there's current. Right. So it's it's all get the basics down pat so that while you're troubleshooting or problem solving, however you want to call it, uh, you're still in a safe, safe environment. And yeah, I mean, you spent all that time with a deco bottle and now it's gone. It actually should be feeling. It'd be like, woo, I don't have to lean on one side anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I still was probably leaning to one side just, just out of compensation and habit. And then you does, go, your, oh, does, your, does your calf on that side cramp more than the other yeah, one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're kicking to stay right? Exactly. No, I mean, and yeah, you have weird stuff that happened. Like uh, when we were diving together that one time where all of a sudden yeah. my boot just came, my dry suit boot actually came mm-hmm. over my heel. And I was like, this is weird. Like what in the world just happened? Like I feel like I just lost a fin, but I know I didn't because I could I could feel it back there, but not really. And it was like, okay, what's going on? You know, and, and again, when those things come up, you're still not – yeah, now I can't really go anywhere. <laughs> at least very efficiently, but I, I'm not on the surface, you know, choking on whatever. It's like, okay, Hey buddy, we need to go up. Cause I, I can't solve this here. You know, It's not going to happen right now. And we were, we were on a little recreational dive. It didn't really matter, but I yep. think you're right. The, the foundation, and that's how I've always referred to at least my training and what I've really appreciated about my training at UTD is that it's, it's been a, a strong foundation and I would say that about DIR diving in general, whether you're, you know, learning it at UTD or you've, you know, taken from other organizations like GUE, or I know there are some TDI, um, you know, instructors out there who are still teaching um, DIR or, or however you learn it. What I found yeah. is DIR as a, which is doing it right, which is a really presumptuous term, but it was not something we created. It's just what it's become known as, um, you know, provided that strong foundation so that when when things are either being added from a skill perspective because you're changing an environment you're going into a cave or you're going deeper or you're you're doing deco or whatever those things start to change those foundational skills all stay the same and and that foundation is solid and i i read some something the other day just you know on wherever it was about there's a big argument going on of course in the interwebs about how, you know, teaching on the knees. And I actually think it was pointed at some comments that Greg and I made on the the last episode (laughs) here. So it was a big debate and I I haven't entered the fray there. But, you know, this this one person, individual was making an argument that, you know, hey, we should be teaching on our knees because humans learn best doing one thing at a time. So we're going to teach them skills that, you know, then they don't have to think about their buoyancy and their trim and all this stuff. And the other side of that fence was, you know, yeah, but the number one skill in diving is buoyancy and balance. So they should be doing that first before they're taking a regulator out of their mouth and things. And I enjoyed that back and forth. And obviously I side on one side of it. But the other thing I was thinking in that whole thing. Check the bio, 
Patty Masters can be exactly. over 200. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know yeah, where yeah. this conversation's yeah. going now. But one of the things that I think really settled in for me um, in observing this argument was the law of primacy. And it, that is really that what you learn first is how it's going to stick with you. And that's where, for me, neutral buoyancy, teaching neutrally buoyant, all those sorts of things, the foundation from, from a primacy standpoint gets set and is so, so, so important. So... Um, I think that's uh, that's that's what you're saying in some ways and how it relates back to scuba. But yeah, if, I think in the same way with flying, if you learn first the wrong way, that it's harder to unlearn that and then relearn the right way rather than starting from learning it the right way from the beginning. What are those primal skills and those foundational skills that you have to have in place in order to make everything else easier? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not on day one in the plane. I'm not teaching them how to do complex, multiple formation bomb runs and stuff like that. It's, it's, Hey man, can you, can you take off? Right. Then we get into AR. Right. so I'm not, I mean, that's a whole nother world, you know, being within 10 feet of another aircraft and purposely letting it contact and touch you and all that stuff. Um, It's one of those things. It's like, you have to do the building blocks and you have to figure out what is the, What's going to keep you alive the best? Is it some fancy skill, some, you know, crazy rebreather thing? Like, no, uh, it's buoyancy. It's making sure that you can stay at one place to solve a problem out or not get yourself into more problems and that kind of stuff. And flying with, with airplanes. I'm not teaching you how to do instrument approaches or aerobatics or flying. The first thing I'm teaching you is can you stay straight and level? If you get crazy, can you at least get the airplane straight and level under a constant airspeed, not climbing, not descending? Cool. Once you get that done, now we teach turns. Now we teach climbs and descents. And then those build on top of each because each one of your takeoffs back around to a landing involves a climb, involves a level off, involves power changes, involves putting the landing gear down, stuff like that. And then from there, you build up. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you go, okay, cool. Now we're going to do a loop just with a single airplane and then you build up and then you go, okay, now I got to teach you how to fly five feet from another aircraft and then do a loop at the same time. Same thing with the bomber. Just obviously we're not five feet and I can't loop it. You can, you can try in the sim when you come, you can try <laughs> looping the buff in the sim. Is it, po- is it physically possible? Or is it outside of the realms of physics? I, th- I think, I think the, the sim crashes when you go that high, like to do like a loop, mm-hmm. uh, to barrel roll it, I think you need something like 25,000 feet of altitude. Mm. Like some guys have tried it, but somewhere in there you lose thousands and thousands of feet and you potentially overspeed and over G the airplane. Mm. So yeah, that's you uh, can try it. You can try. Yeah. You see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. Well, maybe let's wrap this one up with, with a couple of, I mean, by the way, uh, producer Daniel has never been more excited about a guest than you. Um, <laughs> I cause I think he just, goes back to his 10 year old brain of all the cool things about the B 52. Cause I think he might've been 10 around the time that that was new. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know, but he was geeking out about, about, about this. So maybe I should, I should just, I should just set a date and say, whichever one of you shows up at the gate of Barksdale on this date gets a sim ride. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he is, he is closer now. He I would mean. be there. I guarantee we'd be fighting each other. I'd pop his tires. And uh, he's that's also a monster, a monster fiend. So maybe, maybe that's the, uh, the through lines, but you got a Costco in San Diego. We got to just raid Costco. That's time. right. That's right. Um, so maybe let's wrap this one up with, with, uh, all right. What are, what are some um, interesting facts you can share 
about the B-52 that maybe mm. most people don't know. So I, I can share one because I know it. Um, and that is simply that there there is no potty on the, on the airplane. So you've told me there's that. A, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's no little so there's, boys there's, room. There's, there's a, well, I mean, there is a boys room. Uh, there's a piss can on board. Uh, but yeah, there's no toilet on board. So uh, we, we call it vitamin I for Imodium. So somewhere, cert, not, on, not on the local flights, but uh, I will say my longest flight in the B-52 was 38 and a half hours. Oof damn near close to two days in a metal tube that's roughly the size of a one bedroom. No, it's less than a one. It's basically the size of a, a bedroom when you do the whole square footage. Um, there is a camping kind of chemical toilet, but we shun everyone who uses it because it then stinks up the entire aircraft and everyone has to be on oxygen. So imagine like a hot, nasty porter potty. Yeah, that's, Oof. that's probably not great. Yeah. That's probably not great. But, uh, good. Other crazy things about the airplane. Uh, so our wing can flex, I think, about 15 to 17 feet. So while it's flying, it can flex that much because it's a 185-foot wingspan. Wow. Uh, we can carry about 42,000 gallons of gas fully loaded. Wow. Um, normally, we're taking off with 180,000 pounds on our training flights. So for all of you doing your part for the environment with your Priuses or Teslas, I turn the engine on and go for one sortie, and I've... You're not making it back up. <laughs> not happening. Uh, we did it. We did the math. The amount of gas it took me to fly from Louisiana to Guam, we put that in my wife's Prius, and it would go to the moon and back twice. Wow. So. Wow. Uh, so yep. So um, we can <laughs> we can caster the gear to land into some pretty interesting crosswinds, mm -hmm. uh, which is cool. Um, it used to have six people. We used to have a gun, a tail gunner. Uh, we got rid of that when our adversaries started having more advanced missiles. Uh, so right now we're a crew of five and we'll eventually go down to a crew of four. Um, what other crazy stuff? We can go up to 50,000 feet, although it's not, not really useful. It's more of like a, Hey, cool. This is where you can go because to fly up that high, you have to be very, very light, which means not carrying a lot of gas and a lot of bombs. Uh, we can carry about 70,000 pounds of bombs, uh, whole variety, both conventional and nuclear. Um, and on about one tank of gas, so that if we put that 42,000 gallons in there, we can normally get about 8,000 miles. It takes about 12, 12 and a half hours. Wow. So, um, yep. What else? You can refuel in the air oh, as well, right? Yes, we can. So, which, I mean, we had to do that four times on my flight uh, that was 38 hours. There are buffs. They've done it where they've flown around the world um, nonstop. Let's see what else. Uh, we have ejection seats that go down. Oh, down so and set up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's four. So it's two levels. So the navigator and bombardier sit downstairs. Uh, the pilot, co-pilot, and defender sit upstairs. So you have four ejection seats that go up and then two that go down. Uh, which is very important on takeoff that we get to at least a certain altitude just in case there's a problem that the guys downstairs have a fighting chance. Mm. Um, do, your, yeah. do, do the pilot and the co-pilot and the defender go down as well? Or do those no, ones go, go up and the, the guys they, don't? They go up. Ah, I see. Yeah, be, yeah, because the guys downstairs, if they went up, they would go through the bottom of my seat. Yeah. So no obviously they, they, they can't do that. But yeah, it's a two-story airplane. So there's a little ladder to get into the airplane, which is the bottom row. And then there's a ladder that we sit up. So I sit about, I think about 14, 15 feet off the ground Okay, is where the, the pilot window is. Uh, 
What about naming? Yeah, it's, so do do you? I know it was popular back in the day to name your plane. Like just all I know of that is the World War II documentary. So is that still a practice, or how does that how does that play into things? Um, a lot of the, a lot of the, because the the airplane is that old. A lot of the names came around back during the uh, the sixties and seventies when they were on nuclear alert and in Vietnam. Uh, during that time, they fell under a the organization of Strategic Air Command, which was in charge of all the bombers and missiles. That today has sort of changed into Air Force Global Strike Command. Um, and that nose art is on the airplane, but unfortunately, in the PC culture, a lot of the good nose art has been removed. Mm. Um, but uh, the names of the airplane still. So yeah, it's very much a, every airplane has a personality. Uh, some like to start Monday morning, others don't. Mm. Um, and, but I will say on the reserve side, the maintenance guys and gals are amazing. They work extremely hard on a very old aircraft um, that doesn't tell it what's wrong. So they have to figure it out the hard way. They're working in hundred plus degree heat uh, with very little shade out there in the elements. And I've been very, very happy. They've, they've done an awesome job. So yes, the, the old adage that it's not really our plane, we just borrow it for a few hours. It's really the maintainers. Uh, that holds true. And they are an awesome bunch of men and women that do a great job. Yeah, so, unlike the new, the new ones, you just plug, it's like a, it's like your car. They plug a computer and it tells them what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Not, nothing on the buff like that. What is, can you share the, the name of the, the B-52 that you have the most hours in the seat on? Ooh, uh, I don't know that. One. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I've, I've never, I'm pretty sure I could go back to my flying history and, and do, do the calculations on which airplane I flew the most. Um, no, I, I just, I just don't know. Yeah, I'm so. sure. Well, maybe you could share that to the, uh, to the Facebook group later. And, uh, that would be an f- interesting one. I just out of a, that'd be a good Kevin trivia there at, at the bar one night. What's what, if you think, you know, Kevin, what's the name of the yeah. B 52 that he spent the most time in the seat on <laughs> the Enola gay, right? Was that the answer? Like, no, oh, no, no, that's, that's, that's an amusing. <laughs> what well, wasn't you? That wasn't you. Okay. Good. No, it wasn't. Good to know. Not that old. The airplane's not that old. But <laughs> close for now. Well, good. Well, this has been fun. I mean, I think I think the the big takeaway for me is like anything. And what's interesting is the the last little caveat here is if you're still listening is one thing we didn't get into that maybe we could ripe on ripe on later. But is it's interesting because scuba diving is so alike from a training perspective in a lot of ways, and even a control perspective to flying. But you, when you, if I was going to go to learn to fly, I definitely wouldn't be like Google searching discount flight instructors. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want the Groupon yeah, the flight instructor $99 for your first yeah, lesson? Yet in scuba, that seems to be the way we approach it in some ways. So it's, yeah. I don't know why it's so interesting. Maybe because, you know, there, there's pretty fish and things that maybe that's the reason mentally we just get to a place where we want to buy down. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, long story short, that that'll be something we can gripe on in a, in a short sometime. But I, I find it very interesting. Uh, any last thoughts before we jump off the air here? Uh, flying and diving—it's uh, both been the most rewarding thing I've done in my life. Obviously, I've done it. Uh, it's what I went to school for. Uh, I put a lot of long hours, tireless time deploying overseas and stuff like that. I've been to some really cool places. I've met amazing people. And then the parallel is the same thing with diving. Put a lot of time and energy in, got to travel, 
got to meet some really good people. Yeah, every every organization, every industry has its bad apples, but normally they don't last that long. So what I can say is when you find a, a hobby that has consequences, but is attainable if you put the time and energy into it, and then gives you plenty of opportunities to excel at different levels, whether that's open water, advanced, rack cave, rebreather, whatever, flying, small airplanes, big airplanes, jets, you name it. Um, really, it comes down to what are you willing to put in? Are you willing to delay gratification, enjoy the plateau, and work your butt off? Because when you do, people around you will see it. They will come help you out, and they're going to introduce you to the same things and same experiences. And it just, it's, it's been awesome. The, 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 the biggest question I have every night, primarily my reason I have to go work out tonight is what do I do if I can't do either one of those? And it's get physically fit so that I can continue all the way until I'm 65, 70 years old, enjoying both of these hobbies. So enjoy it, love it, respect it, but then go make a bunch of friends and have some good memories. Well said, well said. Well, great. I've had a lot of fun talking about the parallels between flying a B-52 and and scuba diving. Um, We'd love to hear your thoughts. So if you'd like to reach out, send a message to jay at thedivetable.com. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts uh, about this episode and and potentially if Kevin is feeling in a amped up caffeine-led mood and feeling somewhat uh, not an introvert but extroverted, uh, I might introduce you to him so we'll see how kevin's feeling that day and i'm kidding. i gotta go get more coffee right get now. More, some more coffee but uh but yeah uh yeah reach out jay at the dive table.com we'd love to hear from you and make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcast whether that be spotify or apple so that you get notified when new episodes drop and if you'd like to see our beautiful faces uh if you're not already uh, brand new thing. We Our YouTube channel is up and running and producer Dan has been working hard to actually publish these as not only uh, full episodes, but also clips. So if you just want to hear one piece of it, you can on YouTube. So looking forward to the next one with you, Kevin. And uh, I think we're going to talk uh, our, our IDC instructor journeys together. Uh, something that will be a lot of fun and we might have to have a, a bunch of you know donuts around for we'll see uh, just to make us feel better but but yeah we're gonna have that one in the next episode i think looking forward to it so uh to all those out there in the scuba verse uh, thanks for joining us and we hope to have you back on the next episode of the dive table the dive table is a production of fish dive surf incorporated and a member of the fish dive surf podcast network You can find out more at www.fishdivesurf.com.